It's 11.30 at KRVN, and it is time for Midday on this Friday, August 6th. Tyler Cavalli with you. Old gang is here. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen in sports. Or Husker Day. Uh, obviously, Olympics are going on. Just heard a, a brief Olympic update there. Bob is in with the stocks. A little green. We'll hear more on that here coming up in just a few moments. And obviously, we'll get our full weekend forecast. Sounds like it's going to be a warm one with Paul Perkins in about 15 minutes. However, let's catch up with our own Susan Littlefield, who is weirdly at home for the first time in probably a long, long time. Yeah, it was kind of nice to be home, and I got to watch our Minnesota Gopher bring home a gold in wrestling. It was an intense match. Mm. That was uh, just yesterday, or was that this morning? 4.30 this morning he wrestled. All right, all right, very good. Literally, it came to the seconds. Listen, I guess it's the only time that we could say go Gophers because he's representing the U.S., right? Exactly. Jason's smiling over there. You agree, Jason? <laughs> Wholeheartedly, Tyler. All right. Whole, we will put aside <laughs> we will put aside our sectional differences right. as we all come together for a kumbaya moment. All right. Go, there go you for go. Check out his backflip. All right. We'll have to do that. In the meantime, what do we have coming up for us on Midday? Well, it is a Friday, which, of course, means it's weather time. We'll get an update coming from both Chad and Al, and we know that warmth is moving into the forecast. Then coming up at 1245, I'm going to talk with Kurt Schultz. Kurt is the official title as Senior Director of Global Strategies at the U.S. Grains Council. We've seen some amazing expansions, which the hope is means expansion on grain exports for the U.S. And then we continue our FNBO Fridays in the Field, this time out west as we talk with Chabella. She talks with Jason Herman, who talks about the new baby crops, uh, new baby boy that they have. There we go. Crops and restoring an old tractor. So that's coming up on the midday. I suppose a baby boy is a baby crop, I guess. One way I guess. Can look at that way. It's one way to there look we at go. it. All right. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You guys too. All right. Let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen. What do you have for us? Uh, Huskers back on the practice field this morning. Head coach Scott Frost meeting with the media. If we get some of that, we'll pass it along at uh, around 12.20 or so. I'm sure he'll say it was a great practice. Huskers looking good, moving well. Right on uh, par. Looking, looking to get better day in, day out. Uh, also, we'll hear from UNK Athletic Director Mark Bowers. The Lopers have changed things up a little bit on terms of how you can order your season tickets, individual game day tickets, and also their uh, tailgating. Uh, they hope to have that all back to normal coming up this fall, coming up the uh, COVID year. We'll give you an Olympic update as well. And did you watch any football last night? I did not. I, I, I didn't. I kind of forgot it was on. Yeah, me too, especially uh, with the Olympics. Yeah, so I don't. I doubt the ratings were terrific last night. I wouldn't think so. It's good to see a Team USA uh, women's yeah. volleyball team. They'll play Brazil yeah. in the final, and yeah. Brazil's kind of been a thorn on their side mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, Jordan Larson and company can fight their way through and win it. That'd be pretty cool. Brazil, very good, not only indoor but outdoor yeah. volleyball as well. It's a kind of a powerhouse. All right, thank you, Jason. Bob, how are stocks performing? Stock indexes are uh, holding close to their record highs after a stronger-than-expected report on the U.S. job market. Hiring surged in July as American employers added 943,000 jobs, and that was just a little bit more than expected. Also, um, United Airlines will require U.S.-based employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Details on that and more coming up. Thanks. 
Weather's tough for regional ag weather, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. 79 right now at KRVM, but that's nothing. It's going to be a lot warmer here in the next few hours and the next couple of days. Paul Perkins now joining us. and. Boy, enjoy the uh, mild temperatures while you can. Yes, uh, nice right now across the area, except for northwest Kansas, already warming up very quickly into the low 90s, already up to 94 at Oberlin, 95 in Ray, Colorado, the northeast part of Colorado. Most of us, though, with temperatures right now up for 70s to low 80s, those temperatures being held back by a little bit of cloud cover, but that is expected to burn off. And unfortunately, it doesn't sound like there's any chance for precipitation or at least a, a big opportunity. Yeah, some very spotty chances of some thunderstorms over the next few days. Uh, one of those iffy chances coming in tonight, going to be a non-severe threat for tonight. Maybe some thunderstorms tomorrow with the system moving through, but it looks like those better chances, especially with some severe weather across north central and northeast Nebraska for tomorrow. And one other thing we'll have to keep an eye on, or I guess live with, as we have the last week or so, is that uh, that nasty haze. Yes, uh, that smoky haze not going away probably anytime soon. Uh, continued hazy conditions over the next few days, and I wouldn't doubt if we could continue to see it on into early next week across the area. But for now, it's a warm-up basically of things to come for this weekend. Yes, uh, heading for some hot temperatures for today. Once again, most of us with temperatures in the upper 70s to the low 80s. Still as cool as 74 in the Broken Bow area, and that's thanks to a little more cog cover there. And that's maybe a little bit of light rain or some sprinkle activity. Still some of that left to the north of the Ord area on up to about Atkinson O'Neill. Also watching some light rain starting to move into the northwest Nebraska Panhandle from about north of Scotts Bluff to near the Shadow area. That's where we could see some thunderstorms for this afternoon, but most of us hot and dry as we move through the afternoon. Also starting to see an increase in the humidity. Right now, those dew points in many regions, much of the region in the mid-60s to around 70. Still, those dew points pretty comfortable from North Platte into northwest Kansas to northeast Colorado in the 50s to around 60. We did get some rainfall last night in a few areas. Two-thirds of an inch falling officially at the Broken Bow Airport. Some co-op observers in uh, reports included 60 hundreds of rain in the Eddyville area and just west of Anselmo in Custer County, an inch of rain with the storm system moving through last night. Boy, an inch of rain. Yeah, they're living right there. So. Yeah, they've received a little <laughs> bit of rain, it seems like, the last couple of days. Yeah, some systems kind of start up up in the northwest and then they kind of fizzle out as they go to the southeast. And So not all of us getting to share in the wealth yeah, of that rain, unfortunately. Lucky ducks. Yeah. Sunny, hazy, and hot for today. Downtown high is about 10 degrees above normal, translating it to highs in the mid to upper 90s, some low 100s, breezy south winds, hot temperatures and dry conditions, adding to the fire danger, especially over far southwest locations. We do have some red flag warnings just to the southwest of North Platte, on into the very southwest corner of Nebraska, northwest corner of Kansas, and northeast Colorado in a red flag warning this afternoon. Scattered thunderstorms possible with the trough of low pressure and a cold front tracking east for tonight through tomorrow. Storms tonight expected to remain non-severe. Storms, though, could be severe for tomorrow into tomorrow night, especially across north-central to northeast Nebraska, where the Storm Prediction Center is placing a slight risk of severe storms, a low-end marginal risk elsewhere. We do have more on our KRVN Facebook page on that severe threat. The main threats look to be quarter-size hail and wind gust up to 60. The heat building up with a ridge of high pressure Sunday into Tuesday. Highs warming back into the 90s. We'll see a break from the heat for tomorrow, with highs more so in the seasonal range. Heat index readings as we head towards Sunday through Thursday with that humidity figured in, making it feel like it's 100 to 105. A cold front could spark some thunderstorms Tuesday night into Wednesday.
Thursday, but don't expect much cooling with that cold front. Our long-term forecast indicates warmer than normal temperatures continue Wednesday through August 19th in Nebraska and Kansas. Nebraska and Kansas also likely to stay mostly dry with below normal rainfall Wednesday through the 19th. Key weather factors influencing the markets include several chances for appreciable rain across the Corn Belt and parts of Russia staying hot and dry. Hot weather across the plains reducing the moisture availability for immature summer crops, which until recently have been developing with minimal heat or dryness-related concerns. Cedar Rapids, Iowa received its first measurable rain since July 15th and only a quarter of an inch of rain. The northern U.S. will receive some spotty showers over the next few days, except for some higher amounts of one to three inches across the Midwest. A front in the Midwest keeping the rain chances going into next week. Beneficial rainfall to the drought areas while corn and soybeans enter into the filling stage. The northern plains also getting in on some rain through early, early next week. The showers, even though scattered, will be helpful. The southern plains could use more widespread rain while corn and soybeans start to fill up. The next storm expected to stay to the north of the region. Temperatures across the southern plains increasing this weekend, which could start to stress some drier areas. More hot and dry weather expected for the eastern Black Sea region, already dry southwest Russia, including the Volga Valley. We'll see more above normal temperatures, increasing the stress on corn and wheat. A break from the heat and dryness may arrive late next week. In Ukraine and northwest Russia, scattered rain continuing through next week. Remind me, the humidity, is that going to be a big factor this weekend for a good chunk of our listening area? Looks like by Sunday into Tuesday, we could really start to see that humidity be a factor. Looks like Monday going to be the hottest of the next uh, next several days, especially that Sunday through Tuesday period when we could see some highs in the mid-90s and those heat index readings on Monday definitely reaching near 105. So basically what we experienced last week is kind of what we're going to see Sunday through Tuesday. Probably not to the extent that we did see uh, that heat and humidity last week. That was pretty extreme. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty good combination there, but definitely getting up there for early next week. All right, It's going to be a warm one regardless Mm -hmm. coming up this weekend, but for a full weekend forecast, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you, Paul. 67. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chad Moyer. Let's get our weekly synopsis of what's happening uh, weather-wise with Nebraska's ag climatologist, Al Dutcher. Well, uh, it looks like we have a a little short stint of some heat and humidity on the way, but overall, the next couple of weeks, things look pretty comfortable, huh? Well, compared to what we went through, Chad, I would say that's a fairly good assessment. Uh, We're not looking at any long-lived event like we've seen here at the end of July with the panhandle getting smacked with anywhere from three to six days of 100-plus degree temperatures. Of course, as we get through the month of August, the chances of those long-lived events just start to reduce rather dramatically. We just don't have the hours of sunshine, but we sure could use some precipitation. What we've seen lately has just been more scattered. Those that have gotten some decent moisture can feel grateful if you were able to escape the wind and the hail, but a lot of us just basically have been playing this game of a little bit here, a little bit there, but in the overall scheme of things, we just continue to stay drier than normal. Now, as we go through this next week, there's several opportunities for precipitation. Of course, we had a little short wave moving through the state over the last 24 hours. Most of that precipitation should shift toward the east of us, and we'll see some very humid conditions starting to build up as we go through this weekend. Uh, Temperature-wise, we're going to be in the 90s today as another trough that's out to our west, northwest, makes its way eastward. 
And I wouldn't be surprised to see a few scattered thunderstorms develop across the panhandle. They're probably more isolated in nature, but there is that chance for precipitation. But as that trough approaches tomorrow, we should see some thunderstorm breaking out across some portion of either the northeastern panhandle to northwestern sand hills, and then start to see that move toward the east-southeast as the trough deepens to progress eastward. Quantitative precipitation forecast doesn't look all that promising for eastern Iowa, but at least from the GFS model standpoint, they have backed up the precipitation a little bit more toward the west. So thunderstorms that develop are likely to produce some pretty localized moisture uh, in the area of a great, greater than an inch, just basically because of our dew point temperatures. And then as we go into the overnight hours and into Sunday morning, we'll start to see that moisture shift into western Iowa, southeastern Nebraska. And then I would imagine most of the day on Sunday should be relatively dry. A little bit cooler since we did have the cold front come through, but on Monday, once again, another ridge builds back in real quickly as another trough approaches from the northwest, and that's probably going to be our hottest day. We're probably looking at widespread mid-90s to low 100s in the southwest. Humidity levels are going to be exceptional as we get a deep southerly flow from the Gulf. And then as we have that front coming through, at least from the GFS model standpoint, they're looking at a thunderstorm development, particularly south of the I-80 corridor in south central and southeast Nebraska. We'll see if that backs up a little bit. Then as we go into uh, into Tuesday and Wednesday, we get a little bit cooler conditions after the precipitation, and yet another trough starts to approach from the Pacific Northwest. But this one looks like it's going to go a little bit more in an easterly fashion across the Dakotas. So we, I don't know if we'll see much in the way of cooling. It may, be, it may be basically down in the upper 80s to the low 90s. Looks like that will hold for a little while until we get to around the 17th. And now the GFS model has switched to a troughing pattern across the northern plains. And it holds into that troughing pattern basically from the 17th to the 21st. and gives numerous chances for thunderstorm activity across the northern half of the plains region. So that would include most of Nebraska. So we'll see if that verifies out. That would be really good for the soybean fill and maybe stop some of the tip back issues that we're starting to see pretty commonly reported across portions of eastern Nebraska, especially those areas that have missed out on most of the recent precipitation events. As always, great insight, great information. Thank you so much, Nebraska Ag Climatologist Al Dutcher. Here on the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. It is time for Midday Sports on this Friday. Jason Jorgensen is now joining us in your lead story. It's a great one, especially for small-town Nebraska. Yeah, Maggie Malone of Geneva improved her final standing in her second Olympic game. She finished 10th in the women's javelin competition this morning. In a final, she threw 59.82 meters. Earlier this week in the qualifying round, she let loose with one at 63.07 meters, which was ranked second at that point in the event. The 2016 game, she placed 25th in Brazil, where she attended Fillmore Central High School and won a national title in that event in 2016 at Texas A&M after originally starting her career at NU. What a resume. You come from small-town Geneva. You go on to Texas A&M, obviously a national champion there. You're a two-time Olympian, not even at 30 years old yet. And you can say all that from Geneva, Nebraska. I mean, that's cool stuff. And anybody that, you know, if there's... Any kind of tracks, and javelin. It's not like javelin's a th- really prominent or any kind of thing here in Nebraska. You so. can't do it until you're in college. So, so she took that up late. That's it's incredible story, mm-hmm. and, and congratulations to her. And uh, we'll see what the future uh, holds for her. 
Once again, it'll be the United States against Brazil for the Women's Volleyball Olympic gold medal. For the third time in the past four Olympics, these two will face off in the gold medal game after Brazil swept South Korea. And the Americans were able to win their match against Serbia. Now, if you're keeping track at home, Brazil beat the United States for gold in Beijing in 2008 and in London in 2012. The Americans are seeking their first gold medal ever in this sport. They also lost a gold medal game to China back in 1984. Uh, they're dealing with some injuries. Uh, we'll see if they can patch this thing together and knock off Brazil. I'm still a little surprised Russia wasn't a mix in this thing because yeah. when I, I watched them earlier this week, they, they look pretty tough to me. Now, all three Nebraskans, they are healthy, right? As of the last time I looked. So, and Jordan Larson had a nice game uh, helping the Huskers uh, win the, I should say, United States win the uh, semifinal matchup. U.S. women's uh, basketball team, they're one one away from their seventh consecutive gold medal as they thumped Serbia. They have not lost in the Olympics since the semifinals in Barcelona way back in 1992. Yeah. In women's basketball, the United States is uh, so far ahead of everybody, and it's not even close. And we'll see how the men do against France. Nebraska head coach Scott Frost met with the media after practice today. He said NU's two backup quarterbacks, Heinrich Harburg of Carney Callig and Logan Smothers, are currently both listed in number two on the depth chart. Frost says that certainly could change as fall camp moves along. Frost added that each player has had everything thrown at them, and they each continue to perform pretty well. Nebraska is scheduled to hold its first scrimmage of fall camp on Sunday, it'll be interesting to see how that one shakes out. Mm-hmm. And UNK is ramping up and having a more normal fall this season with their sporting events. Athletic Director Mark Bauer says things have changed a little bit when it comes to purchasing tickets and tailgating spots for football. You know, we've had to hold off on, on season ticket sales up until just the start of this month. Reason being, we've uh, changed our ticket provider and our ticket system has changed a little bit. I feel like it's a little more user-friendly. If you've ever gone to an AMC theater, you can actually go on and select the seat online that you want to sit in, and that's what this ticket system will allow us to do uh, within all of our venues is you'll be able to get on, you'll see your seat, you'll pick the seat you want to sit in and actually uh, purchase the ticket online. Tyler, for more information, folks can check that out at lopers.com. The age of physical tickets is... uh Becoming extinct. Although it's going to be like pulling teeth. Yeah. Nebraska tried that too. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's a, it's coming where everything is going to be on your phone. And if you can't adjust to that, I, I mean, unfortunately, I, I don't know what the alternative is. Now, here's the one thing they do at Carney. If you have tried that or you struggle or you don't want to do that when you're going in at the gate, they have folks there who will help you mm, and they good. can work through the process and you'll be good to go. It just might take a little bit longer. Right. I would say in five years, it'll all be, I mean, two years, honestly. Uh, two to five you're years. probably right. But there's some people out there. It's like, sure. Yep. I want that. It's like, it's like the newspaper. I, I want it in my hands. I, I, can, I can understand that. I can definitely understand that. It's, a, it's kind of a little, like a little memento type yes. of deal. So I can get that. All right. Thank you. You bet. Senator Ben Sass supports President Biden's offer of temporary safe havens to Hong Kongers in the United States. 
Sass says it's a solid step, but he wants President Biden to go further. Senator Sass says we need to offer full asylum to Hong Kong residents who flee Chairman Zhao's brutal oppression. Sass says America needs to stand firmly behind victims of communism. President Biden on Thursday directed the Department of Homeland Security to defer the removal of Hong Kong residents currently in the U.S. for 18 months, offering a safe haven to those who fear returning home. The Chinese government improved a sweeping national security law in Hong Kong last year after the eruption of pro-democracy protests eroding the autonomy and political freedoms that its residents once enjoyed. The first protester convicted under the law was sentenced to nine years in prison last week. The University of Nebraska has announced updated coronavirus protocols in response to a rising number of cases in the state and guidance from the U.S. CDC. The university says all vaccinated faculty, staff, students, and visitors to its campuses are encouraged but not required to wear face masks indoors. And university officials say unvaccinated people should continue to wear masks. Masks are required indoors for all people at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And university officials say they strongly recommend vaccinations for everyone affiliated with the university but won't require them. Search crews have retrieved the body of a missing young boy from the Missouri River. Officials say the body of 7-year-old Avi Gurung was found Thursday evening under the Interstate 680 bridge after a fisherman saw was appeared to be a child in the water and called authorities. Rescue teams and police first began the search of the boy Tuesday evening after the boy went missing at NP Dodge Park along the riverside in North Omaha. Police said the child was at the park with family members and had last been seen playing on a sandbar before he disappeared. Crowds of bikers rumbling their way towards South Dakota's Black Hills this week, raising fears that COVID-19 infections will be unleashed among the 700,000 people expected to show up at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Fox News correspondent John Saucier has more. The event starts Friday. It's become a haven for those eager to escape coronavirus precautions. Last year, the rally hardly slowed down. About 460,000 people attended. The CDC says many COVID cases did come from this event. So this year, it's expected to be even bigger, drawing people from around the United States and beyond, despite concerns about the highly contagious Delta variant of the virus. The city is embracing the crowds, and Republican Governor Kristi Noem has given the rally her blessing and will appear in a charity ride. The event is a boon for tourism, powering over $800 million in sales, according to the State Department of Tourism. You can find more news at krvn.com. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Elton. If you want to move the grain, sometimes you need to expand. And that's exactly what happened with the U.S. Grains Council. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Kurt Schultz is the Senior Director of Global Strategies for the U.S. Grains Council. During last week's meeting, we sat down and talked about some new growth, which hopefully means more growth for U.S. grains. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a, I guess, a, a bold move by uh, our members in supporting the idea of, of establishing an office in South Asia. Uh, specifically, the, the focus market was, was India. Um, India is our second largest ethanol export market. Sometimes it, it ranges depending on the year, uh, third or fourth, but this year is its second largest. So it's a significant market. And, um, uh, and so really getting engaged in, in uh, having a physical presence there allows us to work directly with our customers and look at uh, long-term potential other markets within, within that region. And so um, 
in, uh, in, in India specifically, the ethanol is going to the industrial side. Um, but we're very interested to see what opportunities are in the fuel side of, of uh, things. And India is moving to an E20 uh, policy. Um, so it certainly creates the environment for additional exports, but there are, there are restrictions um, to imports for, for uh, and the use of U.S. ethanol in India. So that office really gives us uh, allows us to have a person and staff in place um, focusing directly um, on a you know day-to-day basis on, on trying to address market access issues. Um, it also allows us to get engaged in the feed markets and in um, opportunities in India and Bangladesh, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, eventually Pakistan. Um, so we're still we're still in the registration process. Uh, we hope to have that registration uh, finalized here uh, by the fall, and um, we've already started uh, putting staff in place. What are you talking ethanol numbers uh, for shipments right now? For shipments, um, we're looking at about 140 million gallons right now, just for the industrial uh, side of things. Um, longer term, it, it could be significantly. If you look into the fuel sector, it could be even uh, up to 400 uh, million gallons. Um, but that's uh, what you'd say aspirational. Yeah, so um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. What type of reaction have you gotten from uh, the folks that live there, as they learn more about ethanol, obviously, like you said, it's being used on the industrial side, but the hope for the fuel side. Yeah. Is there some work U.S. Grains Council is going to be doing to help educate as they move to E20 and, and more? Well, yeah, there's there's a whole host of uh, issues, and so um, it you know it's hard to kind of encapsulate it into to uh, a short uh, description. But um, the government has an aspiration of going to E20, but uh, really hasn't uh, uh, fully. And they have a roadmap, I should say. So they do have a roadmap in place, but there is a lot of hurdles, technical hurdles, to actually achieving that. And so um, we certainly are looking at that and how we can play a, a positive role in that. Uh, obviously, the Indian government is very much interest, interested in using domestic ethanol and creating a domestic ethanol market. And um, you, you know, we're there to to show that it, um, both domestic uh, produced ethanol and imported ethanol have a place. Um, they, you know, the, it really is kind of taking the pressure off the market when there's short supply um, that you can still have. You know, meet your ethanol needs by importing, but um, not you know we're not there to displace uh, domestic ethanol, and that's that's part of our message is to really as you start to build out um, the infrastructure that allows for the distribution of ethanol in India uh, domestically, um, it, it creates opportunities for imports, and that infrastructure benefits both. Let's head over to uh, the Middle East and mm-hmm. Africa. Africa is another area that's gaining a lot of attention from U.S. Grains Council. Yes. So, um, actually, I have had a long uh, engagement in Africa. I myself was in the region, um, I guess, almost uh, 15 years ago um, and, uh, and worked there for a number of years. Um, and so it's it's certainly um, uh, changing dramatically, but we sort of have a two area of focus. One is, if you break it up uh, in general terms, uh, North Africa and the Middle East are established markets. There are markets of today. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for growth in the existing markets, um, and we're looking actually to ramp up our engagement. Um, uh, this year, we're very excited to um, 
as we come out of uh, hopefully a, a COVID lockdown that we can uh, really ramp up our marketing programs in Turkey and Egypt and, and Saudi Arabia because those markets are, are growing fast and there's a lot of uh, opportunity for, for U.S. exports. So um, those markets exist and we've been engaged for a long period of time, but we also are, are um, making long-term commitments or focus on the sub-Saharan African market. Um, we've built some what we call tools or institutions that help us um, kind of disseminate information and education um, to the West African and East African uh, livestock industries, primarily poultry and the feed millers there. The idea is to, to one, stimulate growth in livestock production, stimulate um, uh, institutions that support that. And My conversation with Kurt Schultz during the U.S. Grains Council meeting. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome to this week's Fridays in the Field, brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. August is here, and we're back in Scotts Bluff with Jason Harriman. Jason, I understand the month of July was pretty busy as you and your wife, Austin, welcomed your first baby. Yes, had our first child, uh, came a little early, but uh, we had uh, had him on the 5th. Uh, his name's Riggs, so uh, we're pretty excited about it um, and uh, looking forward to him hopefully farming in the future. So That's great. And speaking of farming, how have your summer crops been progressing? It's progressing really well. Um, we're still ahead of schedule, I feel like, for the year. Um, you know, some of the early stuff we planted has really come along. Um, and even the later stuff that uh, we got in uh, right at the end um, is still on track and uh, all the corn's pollinating right now so that sort of thing is right on track. I feel like it's a little bit ahead of schedule in the normal years so um, things are progressing really well at this time. Jason, how has the heat been affecting your crops? The hot weather has definitely uh, you know, sped things up. Um, We've had some with the smoke in the air, we've had at least a few good days of, you know, sunshine. So hopefully uh, the wildfires, you know, to the west of us and stuff in the south, hopefully they get some rains and we get some good sunlight here to finish everything off. So I also know you have cattle. How are your forage crops coming along? Uh, so we had oats um, for a forage crop. Uh, we bailed that up a few weeks ago. Um, we were going to put some other forage crops in behind it. Uh, but I think now we're switching gears with just how hot and dry it's been. Uh, I think we're just going to go towards a wheat rotation on that stuff and uh, plant some wheat this fall, uh, just kind of preparing ourselves for next year a little bit, just in case we're hot and dry next year and uh, not really knowing what the water situation is going to look like. Um, going to need some uh, some well mo- well-needed moisture uh, this winter, so hopefully the mountains get it and hopefully we get some here too. Farmers don't always get to take a lot of free time in the summer. But Jason, this year, you and your dad, Doug, have been able to pursue a hobby you both enjoy, restoring old tractors. How did you guys get started in that hobby? When I was younger, uh, we had a John Deere A uh, that him and I restored together. Um, and then uh, we, uh, we've been pulling with uh, Heartland Series. Uh, and so we pulled with them guys for a long time. And then... Uh, 
just was kind of a little hobby that dad and i've always done together him and i uh during the summer and we started out with the john deere and now we have an oliver 77 that him and i restored so just kind of fun project uh find a find a tractor sitting in the weeds and we fix it up and dad and i go tractor pulling so tell us more about that oliver why did you pick it to restore primarily dad wanted to uh he always wanted an oliver so uh we found one a long time ago and took us a long time to fix it up to the way we wanted it uh but uh yeah just uh found something different and uh so yeah this is dad's tractor and then i have one that i pull I have a 1066 International, um, and it was always kind of one of those dreams of mine to build. And so Dad and I found one uh, a while back, and slowly getting that to where we want it. So just kind of something him and I do together during the winter and work on stuff. And then when we have a chance in the summertime, we go play. So thanks, Jason. And we'll check back with you and your crops in a month. I'm Trebella Guzman, and you've been listening to Fridays in the Field, brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we check in on the closing grain trade now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, what a way to end a Friday, really strength across the entire board. Technically, are we making some moves that we could possibly leg higher once again in this market? Yeah, so the big news of the day, China's back. So it's going to get the uh, the bulls nice and excited. They didn't buy any corn. It was on the soybean side, but um, the, the corn markets uh, reacted as well on the announcements. It um, came out uh, from some announcements as well in, in China where they've had these these floods that have hit um, Hubei province, which is a big big ag-producing state there, and nobody really knows what the damage is, but they're starting to kind of re- try to reassure the public that they're going to have supplies available. So the idea here is that corn, corn imports are going to come, and... Uh, uh, that is is bullish, especially the back of the curve. You see, December 22 uh, traded pretty much right around five dollars all week. You know, really the last two or three three weeks, we've been just right between 4.95 and five. Finally broke out today and trades up to 5.17 on the close. We've only had about four days above 5.20. 5.30 was the last high up here, kind of a double top high as well. Um, and uh, I expect that to get tested at least in the shorter run. And as we see, the money is heading for the exits when it comes to the inflation play, backing away from the precious metals, going back to the U.S. dollar index, it looks like, in a big way. Does that cause any concern to the commodity complex? Not after days like today. I mean, specifically grains. You know, it's, it's, it's an odd, odd place to be, really. If you've been following these markets the last five years, um, you're probably, at least if you're a grain bull, uh, been very, very skeptical of any rallies to come along this time of the year when the when the macros aren't good. And this time, you know, the macros are sour, but we're seeing ag prices continue to stay high. You had earnings reports this morning from the Andersons out that capped a week of earnings with big uh, grain merchandisers, not making making record profits, but making as much as they did back in 2014. Revenues are up 50% year over year. That means they're going to have more money than to buy grain with. And then hopefully the end users are able to buy from them. And that's what we don't know here. I think what prices are going to start to, to, to reject some of these higher prices offered by the merchandisers. I can tell you this, it's not going to be $250 a metric ton, because that's where most of the global offers are. So I think short term here, we've got upside. September is the big wild card. Watch that into delivery. Uh, we've still got about three weeks till that starts. But once the WASD uh, passes, we'll start to see who wants to merchandise this grain when the, the new crop and old crop marketing years come together. 
That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. John's going to be going out on tour, visiting several Kansas locations. Learn more about that, danielsagmarketing.com, danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options of all risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Again, John Payne on the Rural Radio Network. Thank you very much, Clay. That will wrap up midday here on this Friday. Catch the Midday Podcast, sponsored by Devaney Motors. Rubber podcasts are available for KRBN.